Well, I, I'm really excited. My 17th game in 14 weeks coming up here on Saturday, JB. Uh, you know, going to Mount Union. Wait, and, and wait hang on. Time out, Frank. What's up? You know, I, 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 know, I know that neither one of us are really, you know, math whizzes, but I think this is actually your 19th game of the 21 fall season. And just bear with me here because you had – the first like half of the season, you were all over the place, right? Week <laughs> one, you were down in Jersey to see the the Mariners take on the Devils, and then you shot out to Pennsylvania for our first, um, you know, Mountain Union uh, yeah, game day. I guess we're going to be doing that again on Saturday uh, from Alliance this time. Um, and then on your way home through upstate New York, you you happened to make a pit stop in Buffalo and caught the exciting end of the St. John Fisher Buffalo State game. And this started a little run you had there, Frank, where you there were all these close games, like week two, seven points with Endicott, WPI. RPI hung on for by four points against Stevenson. Then week three, you're out in you know, God's country, there in Morrisville <laughs> to see the Saints take on the Mustangs. Then you saw that close game down in New Jersey. And then you flew out to Texas for one of the best games of the of the whole season um, between Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor. The next week, you see another close call with Hobart Ithaca. You catch the you know, the Courage Bowl nightcap on the back end. You were driving to try to get to Endicott in week six, but got stuck in traffic in Boston. So you shot down to Worcester and caught you know Catholic beating uh, the engineers of WPI. And then week seven was another triple header. It was crazy. You saw, you know, Muhlenberg beat Hopkins on a Friday night and then you know, made it up to New York City in time to see the Merch Marine take care of MIT. And then you also happened to pop over to Throg's Neck to, to see Gaidet uh, defeat SUNY Maritime late. Week eight. Yeah, week well, nine, hold, 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 hold on. I still, I still have to apologize for that game because we never did get our uh, audio fixed yeah. on those interviews. I still feel horrible about that one. So that's a big asterisk on that game. But you're right. And just, just for those out there, and Sam Atkinson uh, taught me, we, we always have this propensity called Galudet. It's Galadet. The U is apparently silent Galadet. in it. So. We will endeavor to get at least something right about Gallaudet this season. Uh, they had a good season, nonetheless. Go ahead. Where, where else was I? I, I, I? Apparently, I don't know where I am half the time. <laughs> well, we, we were both there week nine for the exciting you know, Hobart Union uh, overtime game. And then you know, we got you to finally settle down and, and just be in your office there for four or five hours as we did the D3 Blitzer show. And then, uh, you know... Back on the road after you know popular demand, you ended up um, going down to see Toops' last Secretary's Cup game. We uh, did the Bracket Blitz show the week after, so a couple of weeks off there. I mean, but you did do what, like fourteen games in the first seven weeks of the of the D three season. I think we can cut you a little slack there, Frank. Week thirteen, you're on the road again to see uh, RPI in Cortland. Another close game, another playoff game, and you know here we are. You know. Interestingly enough, I, I thought you saw some more close calls, um, and I thought that the away teams won more. But apparently, your record is pretty even. The, the home teams are eight and ten. The away team is obviously ten and eight. Uh, you saw nine, what I'll call close games that happened to be either a touchdown or less. Um, there was that big block there, as I said, between like weeks three and 
uh, really games three through nine where you saw a ton of games and then we took a little break and then you, you know the last four or so games that you saw were, were all close ones so um all the teams that you've seen that are still alive not surprisingly are five and oh um you know you've been to two rpi games rpis won those you've been to mary hard baylor game they won that and same thing with uh, mount union and muhlenberg so interesting little stats there so franks you're you're you're, pu- you're going to be pushing 20 games i think before it's all said and done which is uh, pretty amazing to me man I, that's that's a whole another level of dedication well, I'm going to be making the first of two trips out to Eastern Ohio over the next three weeks uh, this weekend. As uh, remember, the Stag Bowl's in Canton, Ohio, which is uh, just the west of, I believe it's the west of uh, Alliance, Ohio. I'm sure if I'm wrong on that, I will get plenty of hate mail you'll, you'll, on that you'll one. tell you. Yep. Yeah, no kidding, but uh, looking forward to it for sure. JB, 19 games in 14 weeks. We'll make it 20 at least this season in 16 weeks. We'll see what happens with the semifinals, he said. And he also said, you're watching season 14 of In the Huddle. So you see on the bottom of the screen, we have kind of a question because it's only two colors left in the playoffs again. Purple, which I'm wearing as an homage a little bit uh, to uh, the purple uh, champs, and red, which he's wearing as an homage to the red of RPI uh, over there. So purple or red? That's all we got left in the eight teams, uh, and we'll go through all those teams and go through crunch time. But, JB, as always, second round done, and you watched a lot of the action as I was freezing my butt off in uh, Cortland on Saturday. That will be repeating itself this weekend, I'm sure, around the same temperature Mm -hmm. uh, frame. But what did you think of the action? Well, you know, I think it was uh, it was there were some great finishes there near the end of the day, um, but things didn't necessarily pan out at least like I thought they would. I mean, I went five and three in our picks. Um, there were a couple of you know upsets where the the lower ranked team, uh, the road team, won. Um, I guess you could say, or I guess on the flip side, there was you know Central coming back and and, and beating Wheaton. Uh, was where they were the home team, but yeah, there were a couple of uh, you know couple of games in there that turned out not exactly like we expected, um, and so made for a really entertaining you know day of, of championship quality football, and we saw some great performances, and you know I, I know with you guys having that um, you know, Gallardi Trophy show coming up um, next week, uh, some of the the leading candidates had opportunities to to kind of you know showcase themselves and we'll talk about a couple of them a little later on who really had some big you know performances but yeah um just uh you know we're getting down to the elite eight that's sort of the proverbial cream of the crop and so yeah this these these are the best teams left well you don't want to hear about us or from us too much. We've got interviews coming up. Uh, I had an interview with Spencer Karen from Muhlenberg that's uh, going to be coming up in a little bit. And then we uh, we do Lineman Love uh, with RPI. You'll see what I mean by that later on as we uh, begin to preview the North Central uh, RPI game coming up 
a little bit later. But you know what time and it is, And you like folks. my Ralph Asernia outfit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Coach, I didn't think we'd actually wear uh, his gear. But, you know, uh, you've got that on. And, you know, I, I guess I can put this on for a minute yeah, we're here. We're East Region guys originally, so we can, you know, we can... We can support our our uh, our region, our our underdog. You know, apparently we just can't play football out here in the East. So you know, Coach well, Thorne is looking at this saying, uh, "Rossi, I'm never doing another interview uh, with you impromptu ever again uh, after I wear this." But we'll uh, <laughs> we'll take that off and we'll say it's time for crunch time for the second round of the playoffs in the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. Well, folks, uh, we have no video for this game. Well, actually, we got one little piece of video we were able to scrounge up, and this is Linfield at St. John's. And, uh, you know, Linfield in this game, late in the third, had taken a 14-point lead uh, in the, on a uh, Joel Valadez 11-yard touchdown reception. So the teams would eventually volley the score from there, with Linfield going up what seemed to be an insurmountable 10 points with a minute left. Uh, 22 seconds later, Blake Patrick scored a Johnny Magical 52-yard touchdown reception from Chris Backus, and that made it 31-28. They still needed the onside kick, though, and here is that onside kick. Linfield takes possession and wins the game by that 31-28 score. Uh, Wyatt Smith, 28 for 40, 273 yards, three passing touchdowns for the Gillardi semifinalists. Chris Backus for uh, St. John's. 15 for 36, 254 yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. They will face the winner of Birmingham Southern UMHB, and you know who that is. That's Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, let's go to the first quarter. 740 left. KJ Miller gets a 21 yard touchdown pass for Brian Redding as Kyle King was out again in this game, uh, hoping uh, he feels better. I heard he was uh, a little bit down and out there uh, last week. Uh, from his dad, but uh, it seems like uh, he, the prognosis is good for him. Who starts as quarterback? Anyone's guess, but it's 7-0. Then the ensuing kickoff, Birmingham Southern's DJ Albright goes 89 yards. I, I was buying time here because uh, this is going to take a little while to run here, and uh, he runs all the way to the house. 7-7 was the score then. Five minutes later, though, K.J. Miller again. A 60-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Redding makes it 14-7, Mary Harden-Baylor. In the second quarter, midway through it, Trey Patterson was intercepted by Jefferson Fritz, Gallardi semifinalist, and he returns it to the Birmingham Southern seven-yard line two plays later. Kenneth Cormier gets the three-yard touchdown run to make it 21-7 Mary Harden-Baylor, the final score 42-7 UMHB. Redding, 316 total yards, three passing touchdowns. Chris Schuford for BSC, 10 rushes, 60 yards, and uh, Jefferson Fritz, seven tackles, one interception. He punts, he returns punts, he intercepts balls, tackles, he does everything out there. Does he do windows? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we'll uh, then go to the, or we'll preview the game later on between uh, Linfield, Mary Harden, Baylor. Uh, JB, I will uh, bring you in right now, actually, I should say. Uh, the two games in the upper left bracket, what'd you think? Well, I was really, you know, I think we both picked Linfield to, to beat St. John's, but I was kind of surprised that they, you know, they got out to that 14-point lead. They were they were a little stronger um, than I than I thought they might be. Um, but credit the the Wildcats, you know, they're 
you know, they're backing up the, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're, they're, you know, they're bringing here. So, um, but going back to that Fritz, um, you know, performance, the, he actually executed like a 40 yard fake punt right before the interception that got called back. And, and then, you know, he still punts the ball 40 yards and then he makes the interception totally changes the, the whole dynamic of the game. Um, and it's just, what can't that guy do? Just an impressive um, defensive and special teams you know, player. So Next up, it's the lower left bracket, and Whitewater leads that bracket and led in this game from pretty much start to finish 45-0 over DePauw. It was the Alex Pete Show. First, a three-yard touchdown run with 425 left first quarter made it 7-0 Whitewater. Then, 11 minutes left second quarter, Alex Pete. 39-yard touchdown run. 17-0 Whitewater at that point. Then three minutes later, hey, guess what? It's Alex Pete again. 56-yard touchdown run this time. 24-0 Whitewater. And in case you thought he was done, you're wrong. Third quarter, four minutes into it, Alex Pete, 40-yard touchdown run. That made it 45-0. That was the final score. 14 rushes, 209 yards in a playoff game, folks. Four rushing touchdowns. The defense for Whitewater, though, uh, no slouches. Nine sacks, 12 tackles for loss, an interception. Max Myler rushing in a passing touchdown on the day. Then the game heard round the world, or bracket, or whatever you want to call it. Wheaton at Central. Wheaton led 14-10 heading into the fourth quarter. Let's take it from there. 45 seconds into the fourth, Adam Torini gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Luke Anthony. It's 21-10 Wheaton at that point. Three minutes later... Tanner Schminke, it's a 30-yard touchdown pass from Blaine Hawkins. That's uh, with a conversion miss, 21-16 Wheaton at that point. About three and a half minutes later, Jeff Herbers gets an 8-yard touchdown pass from Blaine Hawkins. The conversion this time is good, so they take a 24-21 lead. Six minutes later, 241 left, Terrell Brown gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Luke Anthony. 28-24 Wheaton, they think they have it, right? Well, here's the last play. Clock winds. Snap to Hawkins. Last play of the game. Lobs it for Schmicky. He makes the catch. Yes! Touchdown! Central! Final play of the game. Tanner Schmicky. Touchdown! You a little excited? Ball game. I guess I'd get excited and a little bit hoarse myself uh, as an announcer for something like that. <laughs> 30-28, they did uh, yep. have to come out and kneel down on the two-point conversion eventually, as is required in college football. Uh, they uh, win it 30-28. Blaine Hawkins, 41 for 65, plus I think 12 rushes as well, or at least quote-unquote uh, wow. rushes. Uh, you know, sacks are considered uh, rushes uh, in college. Mm. 434 yards, four passing touchdowns, two interceptions. I think they had 81 total plays, so you do the math on that. He essentially handled the ball to fruition 77 out of 81 plays, if my math was correct on that. Uh, he led the uh, game-winning touchdown drive, as you know. And Luke Anthony from Wheaton, three passing, one rushing touchdowns. Okay, you got his name right. What do you think about this guy, without giving away maybe a discussion we'll have about him a little bit later? Uh, I mean, it was the game of the day. It was so exciting. Um I thought going into it, Wheaton, you know, was going to win this game potentially, but and that's what you get with great players like Hawkins. I mean, he just, you know, drove his team down, got the got the winning score with, you know, six seconds. I know we were sort of texting back and forth about 
you know, was there was there a runoff because the play, you know, there was a guy, the receiver who was down. Apparently, not the case in, in college. It is in pros. End of the day, ex- really capped off the the second round um, with a lot of excitement. It was a great D three football game. Just to explain specifically, because the clock was stopped for the first down, that did not. Uh, force the or uh, that forced no uh, runoff situation essentially if the clock had restarted and the player went down at that point there would have been a, re- a required runoff and the game would have been over that's the weirdness of the rule of the 10 second runoff for an injury timeout just for those wondering out there but it was adjudicated correctly uh, let's go to the upper right bracket here. Lacrosse at North Central. Again, no video here, but I'll tell you the halftime score was 20 to 7 North Central, but Lacrosse got within seven points twice in the second half. The score being 27 to 20 until Terrence Hill scored with 6.07 left on a 10 yard rushing touchdown. The final score would be that 34 to 20 score that that caused uh, with that touchdown. Ethan Greenfield, 30 rushes, 198 yards. Again, in a playoff game, folks, two rushing touchdowns. Jacob Parks for lacrosse, 19 for 38, 323 yards, two passing touchdowns in an interception. Elijah Alt with 12 tackles for lacrosse. Then the game I attended, RPI Cortland. Let's go through all the scoring here. First, 941 left in the first quarter. Bree Segala gets a three-yard touchdown run. Gallardi semifinalist, uh, mind you. Uh, and that made it 7-0 Cortland. I should also have said uh, uh, Max Myler uh, is a Gallardi semifinalist way back when uh, we were covering the other game, to be fair here. Uh, 3.52 left first quarter. RPI answers as Walker Sutton gets an 8-yard touchdown pass from George Marinopoulos to make it 7-7. We go to halftime, tied at 7. We go through almost the entire third quarter tied at 7 until Peter Lombardi gets a 4-yard touchdown pass from George Marinopoulos to make it 14-7 RPI. Back and forth, uh, some turnovers, etc. happen. 2.54 left fourth quarter. RPI thinks they've iced the game with this Dylan Burnett 42-yard touchdown run. 21-7 RPI, but hold on. A minute 14 later, J.J. Lapp, 29-yard touchdown pass from Breeze Segala makes it 21-14 RPI. Onside kick time, and boy, they bat it forward. It's all over the place. RPI had a chance to secure it. They didn't, and Cortland gets the ball. So here's the final play. Bree Sagala looking, going across the middle of the field, and that ball is intercepted. And let's see. It is RPI football. Francis Perry with a huge interception there. 21-14 final RPI wins as Dylan Burnett gets 32 rushes, 155 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Bree Segala for Cortland, 23 for 30, 245 yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. JB, you look at the stats in this game, and you would think if you didn't see the time of possession and the actual score that maybe Cortland had won this game, but time of possession, ball control, rushing game, those were the keys to success for RPI in this part of the brackets. Yeah, and it's been what RPI has been doing all year. They find ways to win close games in the most unlikely fashions. I mean, you know, how many onside kick attempts have, have we seen in the last couple of weeks that have actually been successful? You know, statistically, they, they tell you that it's like five or ten percent, maybe even less. I mean, it's just incredible what's what's been happening here. But as usual, the you know, the uh, the cardiac engineers uh, find a way to eke out a win. People, you know, keep picking against them. And, 
keep saying that, you know, they're not this or that. And here they are in the Elite Eight, and they're going to take on the, the national champs, and we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. Again, we'll preview the game coming up after crunch time, but we have one more piece of the bracket to talk about from last Saturday. Johns Hopkins at Mount Union. Johns Hopkins would start the scoring by going up 5-0 on Mount Union after a safety from a holding call in the end zone against Mount Union and then the ensuing field goal. Eventually, it would be 8-7 Hopkins when uh, Harrison Wellman gets a two-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Stevens midway through the second quarter. That made it 15-7 Hopkins. But Wayne Ruby Jr. with 2.40 left second quarter, it's a 53-yard touchdown pass from Braxton Plunk, Gallardi semifinalist. 15-14, Johns Hopkins at that point, but a late field goal in the half made it 17-15 Mount Union at halftime. Midway through the third, Wayne Ruby Jr. gets his third receiving touchdown of the game, this time a 20-yard touchdown pass from Plunk, 24-15 Mount Union. Two plays into Johns Hopkins' next drive, Ryan Stevens intercepted by Malik Britt and returned to the 21 of Johns Hopkins. That led to two plays later, Jaden Manley getting a 19-yard touchdown pass from Braxton Plunk. That was pretty much the distance they needed to hold off Johns Hopkins. 45-35. Plunk, 21 for 36, 256 yards, four passing touchdowns in an interception. Ryan Stevens for Hopkins, 31 for 50, 359 yards, three passing, one rushing touchdown, but three interceptions on the day kind of sealed the deal there. And finally, Muhlenberg at DelVal. Uh, the first possession of the game took about five minutes, and it was Muhlenberg's Mitch Daniel getting a five-yard touchdown pass from Michael Dukowski to make it 7-0 to Muhlenberg. Then, uh, really nothing but... <laughs> Thank you. Good point. Glory to semifinalist Michael Nikowski. Nothing but uh, punts for the rest of the first quarter. Eventually in the battle for field position, though, Thomas Jenkins gets a 26-yard pass from Michael Nikowski for the touchdown. It's 14-0, 447 left first half. But with a minute left in the second quarter, what folks are calling a major moment occurred. First in this whole transition of things, Michael Nikowski sacked and loses the ball to Anthony Nobile. And so it's basically the 16-yard line. DelVal has a chance to have the lead before halftime. But Muhlenberg on a 4th and 11 as they skewed the field goal opportunity. Daquan Bohannon uh, for DelVal uh, is intercepted by Muhlenberg. Jay McGill gets that interception in the end zone to thwart the attempt there to have the lead. 14-0 halftime score. 14-0 final score as Muhlenberg's defense has nine sacks and held DelVal scoreless on three trips inside their 10-yard line. Michael Nikowski, 23 for 39, 256 yards and two passing touchdowns. DelVal has to start asking themselves the value of having a kicking game they can trust in because that's part of the equation why they didn't go for field goals in those three trips. That could have made the game very interesting, although they did have a legit opportunity to score there at the end of the first half, JB. Yeah, they absolutely did. But, I mean, this Mules defense, this is like the, the second playoff year in a row. I mean, we have to, you know, 2020 didn't happen. We get it. But back in 2019, the, the Mules did the same thing. They, they pitched two shutouts in the opening two rounds. It's just incredible you know, how this team has turned it on in recent weeks. And, and Coach Milne and, um, you know, Corey David, the defensive coordinator for Muhlenberg, has just got this – unit playing superb i know you spoke with spencer kieran we'll get into that a little bit i mean he's been outstanding um you know he was 
definitely way up there on my all region votes uh, for d3football.com thanks for them you know trusting me with that uh, little assignment so um anyway yeah the mules d have they, they showed up and they proved somebody wrong that's for sure needless to say that's crunch time for week or round two of the all 2021 playoffs in division three college football jb Time for your MVPs for week 13, round two of the playoffs. And uh, do we have the spelling correct this time? Do, do, do we have it right? Because... Lane, is it Lane Haskins? No. Uh, no, it's, sir. It, you know, it... <laughs> I say that in jest. I mean, here we go. Blaine Hawkins uh, is one touchdown pass away from breaking the NCAA record, not just the for division three this is would be for all in the history of college football he's tied for first place with brett elliott ironically who's also a d3 uh, former player and now a coach on the sideline of the linfield wildcats um he's probably gonna set the record on saturday you know i know that uh when whitewater would like to try to you know shut him out and it's certainly in within the realm of possibility given how strong that defense is but he um, that that drive at the end of the Wheaton game might have won him the Glory Trophy, Frank. I mean, it was an incredible uh, comeback. You know, two minutes thirty-seven seconds. Like you said, he had the ball uh, and affected seventy-seven out of what eighty-one something plays. Just at a remarkable um, you know individual performance. I mean, obviously he needed the help from his offensive line, his receivers, his running backs. It wasn't just you know him carrying the day. But what an incredible season, and he's won. One TD pass away from making history. So um, my offensive MVP goes to Blaine Hawkins. On the defensive side of the ball, somebody I've interviewed twice over the last few years uh, that we always joke around uh, that he was uh, part of the Pete Fredenberg's uh, first uh, recruiting class at UMHB because it seems <laughs> like he's been there forever. But he is. Uh, this is yeah. it, the final stanza for Jefferson Fritz. Woo! Yeah. I mean, you know, he was averaging over 40 yards per punt. You know, he did the fake punt that got called back. That wasn't his fault. And when his team really needed a big play, he makes the interception, drops the ball off, you know, basically right at the, you know, in the red zone for his offense. They score 21 to seven. That game basically ended right there uh, because of, um, you know, Fritz and, and then, you know, that's the subsequent touchdown. He's just an awesome player. Uh, I know he may probably not get you know drafted into the nfl it doesn't happen very often for uh d3 guys but it wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's playing some kind of professional football um he's just an outstanding athlete you know strong fast versatile he'll, he'll you know he could go the undrafted free agent route he could play in in you know there's a number of new leagues opening up in in 22 so yeah, I, yeah, I, i'm thinking about you know, NAL Arena League uh, is using Ironman now, and there here's a player that is the Ironman of Ironman when you think about uh, what his versatility on the field is. So it, it may be useful for him if he can't get a look elsewhere to use an opportunity like that. We'll see where it goes. It, it's going to be interesting, mm-hmm. to say the least. Not to cut you off, just want to run by uh, the undefeated teams real quick that we have left here. Williams yep. in Region 1, which is not playoff eligible. Region 2, blank. So, uh, yep. I, you know, yeah, we, we lose our uh, final remaining one uh, in Region 2, which was Cortland. Remember, Region 1 was Del Val. Uh, Mirahan Baylor in Region yeah. 3, Mount Union in Region 4, 
Central, North Central, and Region 5. We could walk away still with both of them as undefeated. And Linfield and Wisconsin Whitewater in Region 6, same thing. You could still have Region 5 and Region 6 look perfect uh, by the end of this uh, at the cost of uh, what? Uh, Mary Harden Baylor? Well, actually, it's Wisconsin Whitewater and Central. So, no, one of those has to lose. So, you could have three of those teams yeah. uh, make it through ultimately. Okay. Um, let's go through the games, uh, our predictions on them. We're going to be somewhat brief here because we want the players uh, in our interviews to do uh, most of the talking for the rest of the show. Uh, and uh, yep. we're going to start in the upper left, Linfield at Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, I'll let you start here as uh, I will remind folks that Linfield won by three against St. John's and Mary Harden Baylor with Ryan Redding as quarterback wins by 35. Is there a quarterback controversy in Belton right now? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's one of those things where it's just, you know, unfortunately for Kyle King, he struggled with a few, you know, different injury, you know, health issues, but, you know, the fact that they have a guy who can step in and, and, and execute the offense. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, this offensive line for the Crusaders is really the difference makers here because they, they give the QBs time. They open up the holes for the running game. Uh, they, I think, will ultimately be, you know, the difference here. I mean, Linfield was very stout against the run against the Johnnies, but I just feel like the size and speed of the Crusaders is just up another notch. And, you know, seeing Linfield on film, they are not physically – you know, they're not a huge team um, as far as that goes. And I think over time, being on the road, et cetera, you know, the, the size and speed of, of Mary Harden Baylor will eventually, you know, turn the tide in their favor. But with Wyatt Smith back there, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, thank goodness the Crusaders have guys like Fritz in, in the secondary because they might need, um, you know, a big play by him, an interception or some kind of thing that flips the field to keep this Linfield offense out of the end zone. Score? I think it feels like this is going to be a more lower scoring game. Uh, I'll take the Crusaders to win it 28 to 17. Um, you know, Linfield is that little engine that could until it seems like Mary Harden Baylor derails them every time in some way, shape, or form. Remember the Sam Riddle days uh, when he was quarterback there? Yeah. Prolific. You just great, could yeah. never get over this hump of Mary Harden Baylor. And now Wyatt Smith is going to be facing the same uh, you know, conundrum here of how to beat this team with the defense that just has been purring. For as much as we talk about that Trinity game uh, and how close it was, let's remember that defense was stout throughout the game. And uh, did, what was it? All field goals for Trinity. Uh, they didn't get into the end zone, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So just, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's one of those things where I think – you're right, lower scoring. I, I think that the size of the defense is going to wear down that line and Wyatt Smith's going to get a little bit more uh, penetration into his backfield than he's going to like, and that pocket's going to collapse pretty quickly. I'm going to say here, Mary Harden Baylor does win this game, and it's somewhat close, 121-14. to 14. So now let's go lower left, and that means we're going to... Wisconsin Whitewater versus Central. By the way, uh, the biggest fans in the country right now of Central would be Mary Harden Baylor because most likely Central would have to travel to Mary Harden Baylor if both of those yep. teams win on that side of the bracket based on 2019 playoff performance uh, scenarios that go into the equation here. So I'm going to say here, 
Wisconsin Whitewater is actually my current pick to win the title. Uh, I was asked this today, uh, and I've been asked a couple times the past week who I have. The versatility in offense right now, Alex Pete is just a runaway train. And we've seen, you know, on the Bracket Blitz show, some of that versatility and great running power he has. And Max Myler, it, it complements his game because they have to guard Pete, you know, with how many people and gives Myler the opportunity to have some pocket time and ability to throw the ball. But the size of the bodies and the ability of those big bodies, that's where this is. It is no accident Quinn Miners came from Wisconsin Whitewater, folks. They really do make NFL-type prospects out of their linemen at Whitewater. I know what happened in 2019 in the Stag Bowl, but this team has matured immensely over the last season. And so in this game in particular, I'm going to say Wisconsin-Whitewater wins this uh, 37-10. I, I don't think Central is going to be able to score more than 10 points in this game. We'll see what happens. So. Yeah, I mean, I also like Whitewater. I think it'll be a little bit of a closer game, maybe like 35-21. I mean, I think Haskins is going to break that record um, at some point, even if it's in the second half. What would you say? I said, <laughs> it's subliminal <sighs> okay at some point hawkins will break the ncaa record and maybe before maybe in 2023 i'll pronounce his name correctly you know we're leaving that in by the way so it's bleeped out so just keep yeah. going <laughs> of course we, yeah anyway so yeah <laughs> which is for if you're going to Hawkins is going to win the Gallardi. You can you can take that to the bank. I bet you that that's a done deal. I mean, I would love it if someone like Ian Blankenship, who you know from the Merchant Marine because of the military academy, you know the the service, all that kind of thing. Um, but it just feels like with the you know potentially sixty two touchdown passes or more that Hawkins has got it. Quarterbacks tend to win this award a lot more often, even though maybe you could make an argument that. You know, the uh, running back for North Central might be the best player in all of uh, Division Three, But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Don't be bitter, JB. It guys. happens to all of us. Do you know how many th times yes. I can't even fix my own errors because uh, post-production editing won't allow me to? So it happens, buddy. Uh, what was your final score? Uh, I think I said 35 to 21. Okay, just want to make sure we had that. Sorry about that. Uh, let's go upper right, uh, and we're going to have uh, some discussion here, actually. Uh, first off, I, I went over to RPI. Uh, since I'm not going to get to this game in Chicago, I felt like we should at least cover it in some way. And, uh, yep, exactly. Uh, Tommy Olsen and Josh Cohen, uh, the center and defensive lineman, respectively, uh, you know, good linemen, well-spoken guys. You're going to see that in a second here. When we talk about North Central, we talk about the size of their lines and their size generally. And so let's, you know, talk about that uh, very fact here with these guys. Guys, congratulations on getting this far. Obviously, it's been a, a tough playoff battle so far. We'll start on the offensive side of things here. Mm -hmm. The run yep. uh, really dominated things helped the time of possession and a lot more last week. Tom, tell me exactly, you know, was that game plan? Was that developing as the game went on? And how important is it going to be this Saturday? Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was a game plan going in. Uh, we knew that if we started to establish a run better and uh, 
and really get our guys going in the backfield. Uh, Dylan and Delano back there. Um, we trust those guys to get those gritty yards down there. And uh, and we know that like if we can establish a run, control the ball throughout the game, like it'll open up passes. It'll open up th- other things that our offense can do. And uh, it really just worked out these last two weeks, and we hope to keep it rolling. Josh, we talk a lot about size of uh, players when we get to this stage of the playoffs, the quarterfinals. There are big men on either side of the ball, especially on the lines. But last Saturday, you had some good success, especially late in the game, getting through and making things happen defensively. Talk about Cortland compared to North Central from what you've seen on film so far. Yeah, um, they're, they're definitely similar in a lot of ways. You know, big, strong, physical guys. That's that's what you're always going to expect this deep into the playoffs. Um, definitely with North Central, we've noticed they have great great motors like really good work ethic they're blocking until the whistle every play um around the same size as Cortland um but yeah they just like both teams really just have a bunch of workhorses that are really gonna gonna push limits of our our D-line and really give us a um some great competition this this Saturday offensive linemen often get tired out by a team like uh even Wheaton uh, we've seen this happen with North Central mm-hmm. the CCIW teams and some of the OAC teams and uh <laughs> ASC teams out there does that concern you at all that as this game goes along, if you guys don't win the time possession, that it could wear down the offensive line? Uh, no, I'm not really concerned. I mean, uh, we've been doing great things this year as far as like offensive line play, and I really think that like we're prepared for anything. Whatever the game throws at us, we'll be ready. So the story as we've had it throughout the season is obviously the families wanting to be inside this stadium and not getting the chance to on most games and then coming out and supporting you guys. I've seen your uh, parents uh, mm-hmm. and uh, both up on the hill mm-hmm. and on the sideline yep. shooting photos last week. How important has that been to have the families around you during what I would call some trying times here at RPI this uh, year? Uh, yeah, um, it's awesome. My, I mean, it it stinks that we weren't able to have fans this year and everything, but um, the the support from the fans that do show up and stand up on that hill has been great. Uh, all the parents coming out, giving us support. Like, we couldn't ask for a better group of people coming out for us and our families and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's amazing that so many parents, like, at, at Cortland, it felt like um, our sideline was more full in the bleachers than the, than the Cortland sideline, which is awesome to see all those parents there. Um, coming from all over like at Endicott the whole pep band was there we have a whole fan bus going to North Central which is pretty insane Chicago, I mean that's a, yeah that's a, that's a huge <laughs> drive um like just having people that are coming like Trevor Bissons from Louisiana his I think his dad has come to pretty much every game in the playoffs uh, that his son's been playing in which is just I mean it's it's incredible to see the support we have from all over the country and it's just it's it's meant the world to all the players that we can have all of our parents come and watch us was Bissons dad at the union game by any chance I believe so he (laughs) was yeah that that, That was awesome not to miss yeah (laughs) I think I'll leave this interview now (laughs) uh, guys here's one other thing and I, I love to talk to linemen because you guys are more honest in these mm-hmm. interviews than anybody else. I don't know what it is about you guys. We, we love our alignment. There's a coach out west that complained a little bit about the road that certain teams take, especially on the road, in the eastern bracket versus mm-hmm. the western bracket. Tell us about the road you guys have been on in the last two games and if you think that kind of comment is warranted so far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely easy to say from an outsider's perspective that we might have had it um, 
easier coming from the, from the East Coast. Like maybe they think football here isn't as good, whatever, whatever they want to say. But I mean, when you get down to the facts, I mean, we didn't get to play any football last year. We've had a super tough year, like with with our scheduling. Like every team we've played has been good, very good. They've all tested us. So I mean, if if you really look down and sit down and look at the facts and really break it down, like we've had just as hard of a schedule as anyone else in the country um so i think some of those comments like they don't really bother me or none of us really we kind of take it on the chest like it's kind of not motivation but we're just like okay like that's how people see us like let's let's prove them wrong a little bit but um so yeah i mean we don't really pay attention to those comments i feel like it's uh it's been a common theme this year like that um like rpi like uh, has had like an easy road like hasn't really been tested like but like you if you look at the facts and like look at our league like we have the Ithacas the Hobarts the unions I mean we played Cortland last week who was a top 10 team Montclair Stevenson, Montclair, Stevenson getting votes for the top 25 um, and I just think that um, the, like I don't really like to look at those comments because I know like what we're doing here and like I know that we're like we've been playing with good teams and I, I don't know I think I think it's been good win lose or draw Saturday is this a successful season in your mind uh I'd say so I mean we always want to get the win like that that's for sure but I mean coming off a year where we weren't able to practice as a team and really just came in and all like bought into what the coaches were telling us all year and um, I think it was a really successful year in terms of that yeah I would, I would agree with that I mean um, just just to get where we are right now from from what we've had to go through with like Tommy was saying with COVID and missing that whole season having like 20 guys at spring ball um, no real upperclassmen got to be there um, just going through that and then having such success in the season is a that makes the season amazing um, in itself and then making it to the lead eight is just like the cherry on top so anything after this after this week uh, like you said win lose or draw is either like okay we had an awesome year okay like okay we're still having an awesome year so yep. no matter what it's it's still going to be one that i think we're all going to remember for the rest of our lives yep well i think it speaks for a lot of people to say be proud of yourselves for what you Thank have you. done so Thanks. far and uh we'll see what happens on saturday obviously yep. but the most important thing right now is you guys get to give shout outs any family friends teammates coaches one at a time go ahead all right shout out to uh my mom michelle lawson my dad tom lawson um thank you for coming and supporting me throughout these games uh it's meant a lot all my brothers too that have came and supported me um past teammates and uh it's just been a great year and uh thank you for everything yeah i'm i'm gonna shout out my parents as well um for coming to every game even in chicago making that that flight out there is is something that um it's pretty awesome it means a lot to us and then also just like all the alumni the the recent grads of the football team that are at every game they can get to it's been awesome just to see those guys and um really feel their support and then everyone um not even people have graduated but just like everyone at rpi we've had a lot of people like um, posting on Twitter, on Reddit, and things, just like kind of shouting us out, and it, it feels really nice to be um, recognized as part of the school like that, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, uh, JB and I want to give a shout out to Annie Cohen because she was one of the best speakers about the whole Thank situation you. we could have ever had. On, <laughs> and uh, Annie, thanks for that, guys. Good luck to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Good time talking with them. Uh, let's just go to the uh, next interview, and then we'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, Ralph Icerni, uh, uh, who I asked, uh, now they had a little bit more time to uh, tell me a little bit about the X's and O's 
when it comes to North Central? Big, they're strong, they're fast, they're physical. Um, they, they play hard. Um, they run the football on an offensive defensive side. Um, you know, basically when, when we take a look at them, they're, they're basically an all-star team of every team that we've played against or played against in the last number of years. And we'll say, hey, this running back is like the running back from Hopkins or this quarterback is like the quarterback from Cortland last week or uh, this defensive lineman's like the guy from Wesley that one year. And it's, it's just that, you know, they, 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 there are no holes. Well, you know, I found it interesting. If you look at the stats as a whole from last weekend, if you threw out the time possession stat and didn't watch the game, you might think that Cortland had won the game. But you guys really looked at the ball control issue, it looked like, as the key to victory. Mm -hmm. Is that same idea what's the key to victory for RPI this Saturday against North Central? Well, I think, I, I think you know, for both teams, if they can control the line of scrimmage, control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, um, if you can get turnovers, if you can get some timely possessions with short fields, you know, those sort of things, you know, obviously that's going to be a recipe for success. I think, um, you know, when you look at teams that have success in the playoffs, um, you know, what travels well in December, it's going to be a running game, it's going to be holding on to the football, it's going to be uh, great defense. Um, so those are things that you look for. That That's what's going to win games in December. What have you been telling your guys about kind of the RPI tradition, the history? You weren't here obviously in 2003, but you know what happened back then. Mm -hmm. And just to sort of maybe get them out of the mindset of we're just happy to be here and getting them to realize, hey, we can compete against a team like this North Central team. Yeah, a lot of our guys, um, you know, have, were on the team back in 2018 when we were in the quarterfinals against Hopkins. Um, so they, there, there is a lot of playoff experience, and especially at our quarterback position, there's a lot of playoff experience there as well. Um, you know, we did have a chance to bring back Coach King. Coach King came back and talked to our team right before uh, the shoes game uh, this year, which was great, and the message that he sent uh, was was basically the guys that we have on our team and the way that we play right now is like the guys that he had on his team back in, in, in 2003 and, and for the 33 years that he was here. You know, hardworking, blue-collar guys, guys that uh, are, are playing as hard as they can every single snap. And I think, um, I think that really resonated with our guys. This is airing on Friday. T uh, you're probably en route as this does air, uh, if not there already in terms of uh, being the Chicago area. Uh, what is the game plan here? When do you leave? How does this whole thing work for you? Yeah, we're uh, we're fortunate enough to have a charter flight, so we're going to leave out uh, from Albany. Uh, so you know we've got uh, an airport just ten minutes away from here from campus. Um, so we'll leave out from Albany and, and uh, we'll get into Chicagoland, uh, you know, somewhere around uh, twelve o'clock Central Time, and then we'll go uh, and work out at North Central, and then get to the hotel and do our meals and do our meetings just like uh, we have the last number of weeks. Any uh, any discussion with Coach Thorne? Uh, he's uh, always been gracious on our side. Uh, have you gotten a chance to talk with him at all? Uh, he was part of our meeting on, on uh, Monday and said hey, anything that we need, you know, just reach out, you know, those sort of things. Uh, but, um, you know, it's uh, what's nice is, is at, at this point you have the NCAA that really takes care of a lot of those details for you. So it's, uh, it's good. How proud are you of these guys? I mean, you and I talked uh, right down the street over here uh, yeah. in the preseason, and it almost felt like, okay, if RPI is a 500-plus season, that's great and everything, at least from yeah. my and other media people's perspectives. But to be here at this point, after everything else, how proud are you? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, 
we always talk about the process. We always talk about what's it going to take to win a ball game. What is it going to take to to have a good practice and to you know to string good practices together, to string good performances together. Uh, we always talk about the process and and what our guys have had to go through. It was 628 days from the time that everything was shut down to we were able to get back together and actually have a complete practice together with our entire team. Um, you know, I think it speaks volumes to the character of, of our guys, the commitment that they have, the leadership that we have on this football team. You know, you, you have 19 now now with Trevor, who have 19 super seniors uh, that have come back uh, for that extra year. Um, uh, 14 of them are in graduate school here at RPI, and, and it's, you know, and it's it's not cheap. The education that they're getting is, you know, they're going to have a six-figure salary when they when they get out here. Certainly, that's that's a nice thing to have. Hire us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice thing to have. Um, um, but it was more about those guys getting back together and finishing this on the on the field. Um, you know, they they certainly did not have a good taste in their mouth after the 2019 season. They got back to work really hard, got back in the weight room. They were throwing and running and lifting. You can see the energy and everything. And all of a sudden, we were shut down. Coaches were furloughed. I was hoping that we would actually have a coaching staff when we came back. You know, it, it, but it, that was that's the sign of the times. That's what was going on during COVID and. Um, you know, to have our coaches back, to have the players back, you know, really everything that we've done, um, it's really a blessing. It's really great to, to get back out on the field and just be with these guys day in, day out. I got to say, from a personal point of view, I've always been impressed with your coaching style, but by far to me, this was your greatest triumph in coaching, the most impressive uh, coaching year I've seen from you and from pretty much anybody in this region. It's been incredible to watch what you've been able to do. As I said to somebody coming in here, to me, Saturday was a win for your team, but coaching was involved in that win more than any other win I've seen in this playoff series so far. Congratulations to you on that, and good luck on this. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks to Coach Icernia. So, you know, the, the thing that sticks out to me was how good the answer was about the whole Joe Smith, the, the East Bracket, uh, you know, traveling the East Bracket yeah. isn't the challenge that is. It's traveling the West Bracket, even though we don't have such things anymore. We kind of know where, what he's getting at. And, uh, you know, those yeah. guys kind of put it into perspective, which is essentially, you know, don't take away from uh, what we do here on this side. We play some really hard teams. And we're picked to lose every time, and we're on the road every time. And to, to say that, that's, that's really not fair. Your thought and uh, your thoughts on this game generally. Yeah, I mean, with respect to the, you know, the East versus West comments, I mean, and I'm saying this a little tongue-in-cheek, but if you don't like it, you can always go back to the NAIA. It is what it is, and we all know it. Uh, so there are certain things that are better left unsaid. Just leave it there. Uh, RPI, I mean, they're going <laughs> to – I liked what Coach Acernia uh, had to say. I mean, basically, yeah, they're facing like, an, you know, this all-star team, and that's really what North Central is. I mean, there are probably teams in the FCS tournament right now that the Cardinals would beat, um, and not just by a touchdown, by, by a few. Uh, they're just that loaded, and it's going to be – a real challenge for the engineers, uh, particularly, I think, in in the secondary. I mean, we really saw that in the Stag Bowl, um, you know, with with Kaminsky, another person's name I'm going to mess up. Um, you know, 
at least I'm consistent. Uh, you know, he just has that next level speed. I mean, none of the whitewater guys could cover him in the stag bowl. Um, and it's going to be a challenge, but you know, at the end of the day, the, these almost 50 seniors on RPI, I think that's one of the things that we've kind of forgotten or maybe not made an, a big enough deal on this extra added experience that RPI has. I mean, these are 23, year old young men like these aren't just college kids anymore and so for them to have a chance they're going to have to you know dig real deep and and just try to do what they've done all season bend don't break and, and try to hang in there um, but it's a tough it's a tough draw because honestly i have north central you know repeating as the national champions i don't think anyone's going to beat them um they're just too loaded uh, although it's interesting to hear I think it was was Josh who said that they're about the same size as Cortland. Like you, you know, they're not. You know, the big these big guys aren't afraid of their big guys. They're like, yeah, we, you know, we've seen a similar thing. Maybe they're you know a step faster or what have you. But you know, it should be a, a great opportunity. And at the end of the day, that's you know for everyone who likes to beat up the the East for not being strong. Maybe it's because of matchups like this and. You know, this is a great opportunity for RPI to quit themselves really well, like Del Val did two years ago. I mean, yeah, sure they lost, but it was a 14-point game. They didn't get blown out. Um, they probably played North Central just as well as anybody else, maybe even better in some respects. I mean, they didn't give up 59 points. <laughs> so, hey. What's your score? Oof. Um, I think it's going to be close early, but then get a little a little crazy on the back end. So I'll say um, NCC pulls away late and wins it like 37-14. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one to try to scope out a score on. Uh, that's for sure. I, you know, the heart versus the head scenario. Your heart says you, you want them to be close. The head says that North Central is defending national champs for a reason. Uh, I haven't really even thought what number to put on it. I'm going to say going away, uh, North Central wins this 34 to 17, uh, which is very close to your score. I think uh, we just came up with if it wasn't yeah. identical. Um, so I look back at the 2003 semifinal game versus St. John's because I was curious as to how the game flow was in that game. And we don't remember that RPI, I believe, had a lead at one point in the first half in that game and St. John's eventually uh, it was 10 to 7 St. John's eventually shut them down from there and 10 was their final total on the scoreboard um, I think this RPI team is actually better than the 2003 RPI team in terms of the maturity yeah. uh, and uh, what they're bringing to the table and that's no slight to the 2003 team they were an extremely good team so that should tell you how good this RPI team is in my mind but obviously there is a disparity here. So to Coach Smith, yeah, we have some trouble with our travel scenarios out here too based on who they put as the number one seeds. And I'm not complaining. I'm just stating a true fact here in terms of balance mm -hmm. issues that you don't think exist. Okay? I understand, Coach, that you have an extra game because the island situation, that is a tougher game. We get it. But to disparage yep. an entire side of a bracket based on that isn't fair. I do appreciate you. I appreciate your team and everybody around it. And Absolutely. I uh, traveled down to Rome to see you guys play in 2019 and enjoyed that experience immensely. However, we also have to be fair here to the folks on this side of the bracket, per se, uh, and you know, stand up for the fact that they have challenging games too. 
Okay, there's your score. Okay, last game to talk about, Mount Union, Muhlenberg. Again, let's uh, hear from a player in this game. Spencer Karen is somebody I interviewed when uh, Muhlenberg had beaten Johns Hopkins. And uh, JB, uh, you're, you're not in this interview. Is, is this part of this whole statesman on statesman crime situation here? What's going on here? I had something that, that came up last minute that I just couldn't get out of. And I, you know, apologize. I wasn't trying to, you know, avoid or, you know, be disrespectful. You know, as usual, you, you know, carry the ball just fine without me. <laughs> So, you know, hold, hold, hold on. I'm getting a phone call from Hobart about uh, Nate Milne's trying to take away your degree right now because of the extended yeah, yeah, statesman yeah. and statesman crime. So while I take this call, you can, uh, yeah, well, tell him, tell him, tell Coach Milne to get in line. There's plenty of people at Hobart that don't want to, you know, they want to get my degree removed. Uh, they can get in, he can just get in line with the rest of them. Well, in the meantime, hold on one second. In the meantime, we're going to uh, have a question. Basically, how did they blank DelVal last week? We thought playing great defense on our side would be important to give our our offense opportunities and not put them in bad situations to kind of keep them uh, in good good spot. And I think a big thing that helped with the field position, in addition to our defense playing great, a big thing that helped with the shutout. I mean, uh, was the field position and a great job on special teams and. The offense not turning the ball over a lot really helped put Del Val's offense in some bad situations and made them have to put together drives and we were able to kind of stall their offense and keep the shutout going for the whole game. Kind of a when you look at the score, 14-0, kind of a, that uh, what we call blue-collar uh, mentality of football in Pennsylvania, uh, low scoring, uh, big defensive efforts, etc. Can that kind of game work? against Mount Union, do you think? Or is your team going to have to score more than 14? How, how is this going to work? I know you're on the defensive side of the ball here, but can you guys contain Mount Union to 14 or less points, do you think? I think it really just comes down to kind of how the game goes, how the flow of the game uh, happens. We really won't know until we get into it. We know that Mount Union is going to be a great offense and a great team like they always are. And if we have to win 14 and nothing again, I think we're ready to do that. But if it turns into a, a 45 to 44 game and that's how we have to win, I think our offense is ready to do that as well. When I saw you last time, it was uh, following the Johns Hopkins uh, game, the victory that you guys had on that Friday night. and But that was not too far from the, your sinus loss that your team experienced. And Coach was preaching to me how the growth of especially the youth on the lines was so important to that that was what he felt was turning this team around elaborate on that is that what is continuing to happen here is it an entire team process what exactly has gone right since your sinus that has led to you guys basically not dropping one since that point yeah i i would agree with what uh my coach said that the growth of this team has been probably better than the growth of any team I've ever been on. I think with with the COVID year and not having football for two years, we have two new classes of players. So a lot of players that are inexperienced and haven't really, at the beginning of the season, hadn't really played in a, a varsity college game before. So those first couple of games, I didn't really think we hadn't found ourselves yet. But following that loss and then beyond that point, I think we just really kind of dug in when we realized that we couldn't afford to drop another one we kind of turned it on from that point on. 
dug in as in digging mules, uh, which is uh, something we hear a lot of over there. And for folks that are not, you know, big Muhlenberg fans in, in the norm that might be watching this, what is digging mules? What is that mentality exactly? Our, the digging mentality is kind of just like when times get tough or when uh, things aren't really going our way, we don't complain. We don't think about the past. We move on. We have short memory and we just uh, put a great effort into whatever situation we're in. Like in the DelVal game, uh, near the end of that first half, our offense had a turnover with about a minute left, gave DelVal the ball with good field position. But our defense, we dug in and we were able to stop them and keep the shutout. And that was huge for the win. You are no stranger to Division Three football. Uh, your brother Max, uh, you played alongside uh, for a little bit there as well, if I remember correctly. And so you know the juggernaut that Mount Union is. I, what would it mean to Muhlenberg if they were able to, in a quarterfinal game on a national stage, beat Mount Union? It'd be a huge win for us, all the seniors, our whole team, and our whole program. Uh, me and a couple of the guys on the team remember playing them back in 2018. Uh, they were a great team then, and we know they're going to be a great team again. But we don't really view this as a, a David-Goliath mashup. We know that they're a great team, but we, we think we're a great team too, and we just want to go out there and prove ourselves on Saturday and show what we can do. What's it been like this season not playing alongside your brother? It's been different. Uh, I've played with him my whole life pretty much. 10 plus years playing football. Uh, but really the, the whole team uh, playing with these guys, I've been playing with them for four years. So I still have a lot of brothers on this team, even though I don't have uh, Max with me. You, the thing that's always amazed me about you, Spencer, and uh, ever since the day I met you out in that field, uh, in that game we were talking about, you play well outside your frame. You're six zero one ninety according to the roster. Maybe that's off. Maybe it's not. Uh, but you, you seem to play well outside those dimensions, let's say. I, I've compared to the Ian Barr over at Westminster, uh, who we've uh, had on the show a couple of times, in the same respect. You guys uh, don't necessarily fit this linebacker size uh, idea, but you were racking up tackles and leading your respective teams in ways that people... It's almost fulfilling that whole YD3 mentality that we always talk about. Take it a step further. Have you always felt the need to kind of play outside yourself to prove yourself out there? And you know, as you get to the close of your career, which is you know no more than three games away uh, with what's left here, uh, kind of reflect on your time at Muhlenberg. Yeah, I would say that I really, I guess I am kind of an undersized for a linebacker, but I've never really viewed it that way. I've kind of always known my own strengths as a player and just try to play to that, and I think that I found a good spot in the defense at Muhlenberg, a good role, and I, I know what my role is, and I, I try to do it well. And through these four years at Muhlenberg, I, I feel like I've grown so much as a player playing against some of the best uh, offensive players every day in practice with Nico and Michael Feaster and my brother. They've just – I've gotten so much better as a player being coached by Coach David uh, and Coach Milne and Throughout these four years, I look back at the player I was four years ago and the player I am now, and I feel like I'm a much better, more developed, more confident player. And I can't wait to keep playing to the best of my ability for however longer I have. What's next for you after football and after Muhlenberg? 
Uh, I guess I gotta start working. I got a, a job lined up with uh, AT and T. Hopefully, also wanna someday, maybe not right away, but someday look into coaching too. I think that I always want to be around the game of football. I love it too much to let it go. Not surprised to hear that. So let's uh, one more time go back to this Mount Union game to give people kind of a uh, you know appetizer here, a little X's and O's at least. For somebody to think that it's going right for Mount Union, what would you say would be happening? For somebody to say things are going right for Muhlenberg, what would have to be happening? Give us that as kind of our uh, entry here to the big game. Uh, I think for us, one of the things that we want to do is always start strong. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, every reason we've scored first. So I think seeing that out of us would be mean that, you know, it's going good for us at the beginning of the game. And I think that uh, Mount Union is a team that's going to want to keep the ball in their hands and get the ball in the hands of their playmakers and try to get that ball in their hands in open space, allow them to break tackles and get in the open field. So if we're able to keep the ball in our offense's hands and get points on the board first, I think that's going to be the goal of the game. It's rare to have a battle of two Gallardi Trophy semifinalist quarterbacks, but that's what we're going to have this weekend as Michael Nikowski and Braxton Plunk, both semifinalists. We'll find out uh, what happens with respect to uh, them possibly moving on as finalists. We don't know, uh, won't know until the vote's over, uh, December 9th. uh, But for the time being, it should be a great battle for sure. Uh, we gave you the opportunity last time. Maybe you forgot some folks. Uh, you know, it was the heat of the moment that night, so I'm going to give you the chance one more time for any shout-outs that you have for any family, friends, coaches, anybody there, teammates, uh, all, all those folks that you want to uh, – Spencer, Karen, the floor is yours. Yeah, I'd like to give a big thank you to my family. They've supported me throughout all my four years, coming to all my games, uh, my friends from home as well, uh, and my old high school coach. Larry Luth, he's supported me, sending me texts after every win. Uh, so all those guys, uh, my teammates again, of course, my coaches from Muhlenberg. It's been a great four years, and I can't wait to just continue it, see how far we can take it this year. Yeah, I, I, I think you should give him one more chance to keep the degree uh, you know, in place for now. Anyway, oh, oh we're back. Sorry. Uh, thanks. Bye. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I don't even know here. if I can show up for my – I don't even know if I can show up for my – you know, COVID punted 25th, uh, you know, reunion that's supposed to be next summer. Um, you graduated when you were know, 14 might... or 13 years old. Is that what happened? Well, yeah, I was like a Doogie Hauser in my, yeah, no. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Spencer was a great, great guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Great guy. And like, you know, he, you know, reminds us of, you know, Ian Barr, maybe not the, the biggest linebacker out there, but he plays with such heart and tenacity you know, he's like a 6'4", 225, you know, 230, you know, guy with the style that he plays. And, you know, he's going to be tasked with a, you know, with a tough order. I mean, you know, Mountain Union's become much more of a vertical passing team over the over the years. Uh, but you still got to be ready for that one-two punch of those running backs. And Petroselli is just as, as good. I made a joke the other day, um, you know, I can't pronounce names correctly. So just imagine me trying to, like, text and spell them on my phone. And when I tried to type in Petricelli on my phone, it, it I, of course I misspelled it, and it turned into pretty elite. That's pretty much the, the, the truth about this guy. He is a, a you know an elite running back. Maybe not being as used as we might think. Um, it could be an injury situation. Maybe there's a certain they're trying to limit him carry wise, or 
who knows, like everyone's banged up. It's, you know, week 14, right? So everyone's got some bumps and bruises. But, um, you know, I have, a, I have a feeling that, you know, Mount Union's strategy in this one is going to try to get out to a quick lead with a couple of passes to Ruby, who's probably one of the fastest, if not the fastest receiver in Division Three, And then they're going to sit back and lean on that offensive line and, and you know, run game, which is kind of what they did to um, Hopkins after they, you know, kind of fell into that weird, you know, five, nothing, eight to seven <laughs> kind of hole. So what do you think score wise? I, I know it's unfair to make you go three times in a row, but what's your final? You know, I guess, um, you know, they're still Mount Union. They haven't lost at home in 23 years, more than two times. So if I'm playing the odds, I have to pick the Raiders, um, even though it would be great to see the Mules pull off a, an upset. But, yeah, I mean, if I have to be a, you know, keep my three-game lead, I think is what I have. I got to I gotta play it safe on this one. Um, Mount Union, 35, Muhlenberg, 31. I won't call Nate Milne this time because we can't uh, bleep out everything on this show. Um I uh, turned to a uh, friend of the show, a coach that doesn't want to be named, uh, and uh, we will respect that. And I asked the question, uh, do you think the Mules can do it against Mount? And the answer was, yes, I think they definitely can. We'll need to look like a typical Mount-John Carroll game. I think the Mules would need a game like 27-24 if they were to win. And I, I think that's a pretty yeah. good assessment there. Uh, you know, Nikowski has the ability to get them the three to four touchdowns that 27 would represent. Now it's a question of whether or not the defense can shut down Braxton Plunk and Josh Patricelli and everybody else uh, in the uh, running department over there as Ruby. well. Jeez. Wayne Ruby, obviously, uh, who you know was out like three times in the uh, Johns Hopkins game. I'm going to do a rare thing here and pick against Mount Union in this game, which I know I'm setting myself up for a lot of uh, cat calls uh, when I'm there in Alliance this weekend. But this just feels weird, this game. This just doesn't feel like the Mount Union team I'm used to. And they have done all kinds of gymnastics around my ballot in the top four slots over this season in terms of the top 25 ballot. Because one week you think you know what you got, and the next week it's kind of like, wait a minute, this isn't that Mount Union team I'm used to. So... Yeah, and, I, and I'll throw this in there real quick, Frank. Like, what, this is what now the 17th or 18th regular season game that they played in the 2021 calendar year. I think, you know, even though we, we sort of talked up how great spring football was and, and for entertainment purposes for us and, you know, fans and all that, it was great. But now we're starting to see that the teams that didn't play in 2020 are actually faring better um, late in the year, better in the tournament so far. I mean, time will tell. I mean, basically, I think Mountain Union and Mary Harden Baylor are the only um, two teams. Well, I guess Central played two games technically. But you see where I'm going with this. I have a feeling that we might just get a stag bowl with teams that didn't play in 2020 just because of, you know, better health, better prep, et cetera. 27-24 Muhlenberg is my answer. I will go with uh, our coach friend uh, that uh, gave me that advice today because I, I think it's reasonable mm -hmm. advice here. 
Uh, they're going to have to play a perfect game, though, offensively and not turn the ball over three times like Ryan Stevens yeah. did as quarterback on Saturday in a 10-point game. Imagine if they didn't turn that ball over three times in that game, what the landscape of that game would have been. So think about yeah. that. Okay, those are the four games, and thanks again to RPI Muhlenberg for helping us get those interviews. Uh, Mike Falk and uh, Kevin Beatty uh, from Muhlenberg and from RPI, respectively, uh, for their help there. And Coach Milne always helps us out over at Muhlenberg as well. JB, thoughts on the quarterfinals coming up in general here? Well, at least we get one game that's going to kick off at noon that, that the whole nation can be solely solely focused on. And I think it's I think you picked a good one, Frank. I think this one's not going to disappoint. Of the of the four, this one feels like the one that could have a potential upset in it. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an outstanding matchup. And then you know you got the the three other games kicking off at, at one Eastern, uh, noon Central. And it's, you know, it's all the, the big names that we have in this division, you know. So we're down to the Elite Eight. And so these are going to be elite teams all fighting for a chance at the Final Four and in a national championship. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be great. Um, we'll see you on Saturday around, I don't know, what, 11, or give or take, depending on your Wi-Fi situation and whether or not you're buried under a foot of snow or whatever is going on there in Ohio. I hope you dress warmly. I will be... Um, you know, basically for here in my air conditioned house <laughs> where it's already 70 degrees outside. So I can't complain. I've got two things for you. Uh, first off, I uh, remember uh, when you were saying 2020 season, I meant to uh, jump in on this earlier. You meant the 2021 spring season, uh, which we kind of fall to 2020 just to fill the gap there. Yeah. Uh, but number two, Linfield just called and said you're giving them zero chance to upset Barry Harden Baylor. Really? Come on now. They, they, there is a chance they can win that game indeed, a real chance. So we'll see we, We'll see what happens there. Bring it, guys. Uh, Good luck. We're becoming bulletin board material as we speak on this show. Just want you to know. But, uh, folks, uh, thanks for joining us for the 70-, 75-minute show that uh, this ends up being. But uh, we wanted to do justice to the second round into the quarterfinals. We will see you this weekend. We will see you next week uh, for our traditional semifinalist interview round with all four semifinalists. Uh, we attempt to get an interview from each one of them. So stay tuned for that. Two weeks left after this week is done, folks. I know I'm ready for the end of this <laughs> because it's been a long year, but thanks for joining us.